You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Election College, Episode 52, Franklin D. Roosevelt, again? Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts... Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, this FDR guy, yeah. he's still he's still here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like it's been eight years. Mm-hmm. And he, he's in he's in the White House and mm-hmm. he says, I'm not going away. It's like, this is my house. That's right. <laughs> and the people were like, That's your house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe we should back up just a little bit. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh I, I thought this was going to be like our shortest episode. Yeah, it could be, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> uh, it is no secret to almost anyone that would be interested in this topic. I hope that FDR is still around. He's still kicking. And there's a lot of people saying hmm, there's never been a president for more than two terms. We, we know that George Washington wanted it that way. Um, so we're going to respect his wishes, of course. Mm hmm. Who else would run? I mean, who else would we get to run if FDR doesn't run again? Uh, well, the vice president, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's a good point. We could talk about that. John Nance Gardner. Yeah. Cactus Jack. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> I love that. I, why can't I have a cool nickname like that? I could call you Cactus Jack if you want. Uh, but Cactus Jack already has Cactus Jack. Well. Can never have too many cactus jacks, I suppose. Or succulent Jason. Nope, that's not a good one. Sorry. Okay, well, anyway, <laughs> it's 1940, and FDR is doing his thing. And it's kind of interesting because we talked uh, a bit about the first New Deal or the first aspect of the New Deal. And that garnered pretty much everybody's support, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, FDR just keeps on going down that road and there's more social programs that are being implemented and things that we just take for granted today and the role of the federal government in our everyday lives. And whether you think that is a wonderful thing or a horrible thing, most of the country is saying, well, Roosevelt 
did bring us out of the depression. Right. Yeah. What, no matter what you want to say about Roosevelt now uh, or how his policies have, have affected modern day, you can't really deny that they were effective in their time. Um, they, they did what he intended them to do. And that is for better or for worse, um, a good thing if you're the him, if you're that candidate and you're that party. So he continues to be popular with most people at least. Yeah. So at this point, the new deal and keep in mind, we are here in 1940 and it is very popular and people are very supportive. Absolutely. Of all that's going on here. So don't mess with that. Right. But what you can mess with is the philosophy behind is the United States of America an isolationist country? Uh, should we intervene or should we just kind of stay into our own affairs here in North America or Western Hemisphere, actually? Or should we start to get involved with what's going on in other parts of the world. Was that cryptic, Ben? <laughs> I don't know if it was cryptic, but it worked for me. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so John Nance Gardner, he, he's uh, he's not a huge fan of being the vice president. He, he famously said a few things that um, uh, we won't say on the podcast about it, but you can go read them. There's some fun quotes he says about how insignificant he feels his role is as the vice president. He had been rather warm with the president. He really liked them. They, they got along splendidly. And during Roosevelt's second term, Garner just, I don't like him anymore, basically. <laughs> he just kind of, <laughs> things soured. They, they disagreed on New Deal, like Jason was saying. They disagreed on a lot of major social issues at the time. They didn't agree on budget issues. They didn't like the, the same people for the Supreme Court. And they just, they, they weren't on the same page as far as the different kinds of business that existed inside of Congress with Congress, you know, the kind of insider dealings that happened. Right. Yeah. And even the whole issue of packing the Supreme Court with judges who tended to agree with your policies right. and would do so for many a year to come. So FDR, pretty confident guy, right, Ben? Yeah, but for the most part. And Cactus Jack, pretty confident guy, right? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. I mean, with a nickname like Cactus, you're <laughs> pretty confident. And, and oh, Cactus, you know, if you're a Southern Democrat, you're going to think this guy... That this is our guy. We like him. And <laughs> I love this description of, of John Nance Garner because a union leader uh, named John L. Lewis described him as a labor baiting, poker playing, whiskey drinking, evil old man. <laughs> uh, and that, that evil old man part, the, the old man part, I guess I should say, uh, <laughs> Remember that Cactus Jack is 71 at this point. And that's, I mean, that's a little older than a lot of our recent uh, presidents, vice presidents have been. But at in 1940, like 71 was a lot older than it is now, I guess you could say, because the average was, was down further. So uh, he's definitely sticking in there, I guess you could say. Yeah. He's a pretty dapper dresser, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
you look at his, he's got the whole collar up thing. He's like, Hey, I'm not going to hide any part of my tie. <laughs> the collar's going up. It's 1940. I don't care. You think you just forgot to tuck it down sometimes? I don't know, but it looks like it would be very uncomfortable on the chin. He like set the precedent for the frat boys of the, uh, early to mid 2000s, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, Garner, let's just get to the chase. Garner declares his candidacy (laughs) and Roosevelt just at this point still hadn't said whether or not he was going to run again. And Garner pretty much knows that if Roosevelt does run, he can't win the nomination, but Garner stayed in the race anyway. So you have to think that he either wanted to make a huge stand or even the vice president wasn't sure if the president would run again. Yeah. You know, Ben, one really bad strategy of What's that? being reelected to the vice presidency is uh-huh. run for president. <laughs> yeah. That's, you usually don't want to run against your, um, your running mate. <laughs> so Roosevelt's like, um, no, I'm going to pick Henry A. Wallace from Iowa, who is his secretary of agriculture and he was liberal which was very appealing to somebody who was very much in the thick of implementation of more new deal policies at the time. Yeah. And he's also not trying to beat me. So I'll pick him. Yeah. Yeah. And so Wallace is thinking, okay, I, I, I think I could do this. And, um, he actually gets the support of first lady Eleanor Roosevelt and she vouches for him. And everybody is like, yay, Wallace, you're our man. So FDR, he's like, I'm running and Wallace is my VP. <laughs> you think he said it like that? I think that's probably the exact words that came out of his mouth. That was actually his uh, nomination acceptance speech. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so uh, Democrats are taken care of here. How about the Republicans? They're probably going to be unified and come out with a strong force, a strong showing. Uh, you know, the eight years of this Democrat stuff, we gotta, we gotta switch this around, Republicans, right? Yeah. Uh, mm. Um, hey, you remember Ben about the whole thing of putting up a united front, even if maybe you really aren't united, but yeah. you still want to win? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Republicans were really bad at that. <sighs> still? I mean, wait, forget I said that. 1940, (laughs) Let's just face it. All parties are bad at that right now. So, (laughs) Yeah. So you've got the Republicans and many are isolationists. They are saying we are going to stay out of war. And other people are like, "Um, you remember those allies that we have, like the United Kingdom and their buddies? Um they're running into some difficult times because Germany is conquering all of Europe. Yeah, we're definitely not a not a general history podcast, but we have to just pause here for a minute and and just kind of mention that you know World War II, this is it. This is what it's happening. <laughs> oh. Um yeah, it's kind of a big deal. So it definitely needed addressed and um You've got the Democratic Party that says we're not getting into it. And then you've got the Republican Party that said half of them say we're getting into it. Half of them say we're not. And, of course, no one agrees at this point. But it becomes this obviously gigantic point of contention in the party that divides 
all the candidates down the line. Yeah. So you've got people like Senator Taft, Robert Taft, that is from Ohio. And he is appealing to that Midwestern, um, at that time, the Midwestern values of isolationism. Uh, you've got Arthur Vandenberg of Michigan, also an isolationist and Thomas Dewey. That name sounds familiar uh-huh. from New York. And he's pretty much the same of the same mind. Let's, let's do our thing here on the state side. Yeah. Yeah. And Dewey actually, he wins most of the presidential primaries in the, uh, in 1940, in the early spring. And then he comes to the convention, the Republican convention with the largest number of delegate votes, but he still doesn't have enough to win yet. So we're going to talk about other people still. Yeah. So there's this guy, Ben. Uh-huh. He's Wall Street guy. Uh-huh. Industrialist. A Democrat. Well, a supporter of FDR. We already talked about the Democrats, Jason. You can move on. Well, let's talk about this guy. Okay. Because he's kind of unique. Wendell Wilkie. He never has run for political office, right? Right. He's from Indiana. He, in 1939, decides... You know what? I'm not a Democrat anymore. I think I'm going to become the Republican candidate for president. Oh man, that's weird. This doesn't happen terribly often. We've seen this a couple insignificant times in history that didn't end up mattering terribly much. But, uh, yeah, Wilkie kind of just does a 180. I mean, he originally thought he would run. And he wanted to be president, but then he determined, oh, I'm not going to run against uh, in the same party. I'm not going to win in the same party as FDR. And maybe a couple of my viewpoints have changed a little bit. So I guess I'll, I'll be a Democrat. Yeah. But the problem is Wilkie was the CEO of a company called the Commonwealth and Southern Corporation. And they were a power company that provided power to customers in like 11 states and Roosevelt creates the Tennessee Valley authority. Right. And like any new deal program as an acronym, TVA still around. So the government, they're taking over the power company. Wilkie doesn't care for that too much because he's got interest, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, and he's a Republican. So by his very nature, that's not what he believes in. So there you have it. He's ticked off <laughs> by FDR, kind of, and he decides to take the 1940 Republican National Convention by storm. And he he gets it. I mean, we've got a couple other factors that go into there. The um, the Germans blitz into France, and the American op- opinion of that is just overwhelming. Uh, everybody is hugely in support of Wilkie. He gets approximately 1 million telegrams asking for him to please run for the people at the convention to please nominate him. He's hugely supported and instant support almost overnight, I guess you could say. Yeah. And it just kind of, I don't know if anything like this will happen in our present day, but it just, goes to show how you can have all of these mini groups 
from the grassroots level, and we've heard that election after election, right? The yeah. grassroots movement. But these groups literally storming the convention with telegrams and I'm sure in this day of age, in age it would be tweets or emails or phone calls and shifting an entire major, major political party's focus. And his nomination is to this day considered by historians to have been one of the most dramatic moments in any political convention. Uh, as a matter of fact, he didn't even give very much thought who he would select as his VP. Right. Yeah. He didn't, uh, he didn't quite know who he was going, <laughs> going to go for. So, uh, they leave it up to the convention chairman who suggests the minority leader of the Senate, Charles McNary. He's from Oregon. And, uh, <laughs> this is kind of funny. He actually had spearheaded a campaign called stop Wilkie uh-huh. <laughs> Wilkie's still like, yeah, you'll do. I'll make you my vice presidential candidate, even though you rooted against me, you scoundrel. <laughs> it sounds like it reminds me of a quote and, uh, it's been years since I've heard this, but isn't it like, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies even closer. Oh yeah. Yep. That sounds Absolutely. exactly what that is. I don't think that's an uncommon, I mean, I, I hate to say this with all certainty, but I really don't think that that is a thing that has stopped since then in the presidential, vice presidential decisions. It's kind of like who is out there that could do me the most harm. I'll make them my vice presidential, vice presidential candidate. Yeah. So the Gallup poll, uh, mm-hmm. it's back. It's around. Yeah. They do another, they do another poll. Yeah. They avoided predicting the outcome and. They gave this margin of error thing that you hear, which is a total cop out. If we wanted to be truly honest, if I wanted to be truly honest, because this is my opinion, it may not be your opinion, Ben. Come on, a 4% margin of error. Yeah, that's definitely a cop out for sure. I mean, 4% is a lot. I understand that they're dealing with a small sample size most of the time, but. They've had what 70, almost a hundred years to perfect this. So come on, you don't need that big of a margin of error anymore, but they still do. Anyway, at this point in time, they did a 4% margin of error and uh, a lot of the polls were predicting that Roosevelt would win. There were some polls that also said that Wilkie would win if there was no war in Europe because voters preferred his stance um, on the war. So, or I'm sorry, voters preferred Roosevelt's stance on the war. But if uh, if there was no war, then Wilkie would have been the favorite. Right. So the campaign starts and or the head to head campaign starts and Wilkie is going all out saying, hey, Roosevelt, you're breaking tradition. And he says that if one man is indispensable, then none of us is free. So even some Democrats who were like. We love FDR in 1936. They're like, okay, dude, time to move on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people who think that more than two terms is just not cool. And Wilkie wants to get some of their votes from the Democratic side, especially. So he also is not a big fan of the New Deal programs, especially the welfare programs that are going on. And I don't just mean welfare. I mean, that's that's what the types of programs were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he claims incompetence and waste in those programs. 
he says that he would keep some of them, but he would make them more efficient, which um, is is a common theme throughout the Republican Party for many years and still is. But Americans still just blame the big businesses for the Great Depression. And Wilkie is big business. He does not go over as well with many voters. Yeah, as a matter of fact, so Wilkie, he's out there in, in, on, <laughs> through the campaign on the trail. He's getting rotten fruit and vegetables thrown at him and was heckled by the crowds. And he was pretty unfazed by that. He's like, no, FDR has gone too far with government intervention. And it, it, it's kind of interesting because in the midst of all of that, because it sounds like what FDR has done is horrible, right? Well, no, I'm not going to just overturn everything that Roosevelt has done. I'm just going to make all these different government programs more efficient. So at first, Wilkie was a little bit critical, a lot critical of Roosevelt, because he said he had left the nation unprepared for war. But Roosevelt does some things and kind of removes that as an argument. So then Wilkie's like, well... Uh, Roosevelt's actually secretly planning <laughs> to go to war. So first he's like, no, he's not very good, ready for war. And then he says, yeah, he's going to go to war and he's, it's a secret. So it, uh, it actually did really cut into Roosevelt's support. Yeah. Darned if you do, darned if you don't. But I think it is kind of cool, Ben, that this two party system thing we've got going on where uh-huh. there's actually an opposition. Uh huh. Cause I, I, sometimes I, have looked back at this era and have thought, Oh my goodness, everybody's just for FDR, but it was good. The minority actually influenced policy and we'll know in the future that that was a good thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for Wilkie at this point. So we see Roosevelt leading all the polls, of course, and Roosevelt gets not as many votes as he did previously. He gets 27, a little over 27 million votes, and Wilkie gets a whopping 22 million. And then the Electoral College, <laughs> not not even not even close. Right. Roosevelt defeated Wilkie by a margin of 449 to 82 votes. Wow. So, yeah, basically, if you're an urban area... You're Roosevelt. Basically, if you're in the South, Roosevelt. Basically, if you're everywhere except for, uh, that Midwestern portion of our country, you're going to be voting for Wilkie. Now, Wilkie did get quite a bit more votes than, uh, the Republicans got in 36. He actually made it so, um, Roosevelt is one of only three presidents that got a lower percentage of the electoral vote and the popular vote in his second election than he did in his first election. So again, that's, he ran the first time and got a bunch of votes. And then the second time he still got a bunch of votes, but less in both the popular and the electoral college, which there's only been a couple others. Yeah. It's really unprecedented with Roosevelt though, because you got that running for a third full term. So entirely different set of circumstances. And here we thought 
1940 was going to be just another boring election. Yeah, I guess we were wrong. Yeah. So FDR firmly ensconced in the White House. And at this point, we're at peace here in the States. I am most at peace when I'm knowing that people like our podcast, Jason. That's probably not an accurate statement, but it is certainly nice (laughs) to know. And the best way you can let us know that you like our podcast is by telling your friends. We always talk about reviews and social media and all that kind of stuff. But word of mouth is one of the biggest, most motivating reasons to listen to other podcasts. That's the reason I've picked up a lot of the podcasts I listen to. So tell at least one friend this week about Election College. Oh, that would be so nice if you did that. And yeah, encourage them to not be overly consumed with what's going on with this election, because when it's all said and done, we're only going to be talking about maybe three or five people who are involved in the election this year and the forthcoming years. And hey, history is a lot more fun than the present, right? That's right. Absolutely. So connect with us. We are at Election College on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And go ahead after you've told your friends about us in person and online and go and leave us a review at electioncollege.com slash review. We would really appreciate that. Head on over to iTunes. Say hey. Leave us a little star rating. It's a nice thing to do. Yeah. And enjoy the piece. Absolutely. We'll see you next week.